Welcome to the Future of Australia podcast, where your host, Derek Stewart, interviews the entrepreneurs and founders running the 100 fastest growing new businesses in Australia. On episode 70, I speak with Sam Gordon, Director of Australian Property Scout, that grew 307% last financial year to do over $4 million in annual revenue and become one of the fastest growing new businesses in Australia. We discuss how he learned work ethic growing up on his parents' farm and learned about being hyper-competitive while going to an elite sports school in Sydney and trying to become a professional soccer player. How he became obsessed with property starting at age 19 and built up a portfolio of seven properties in his mid-20s. By being rejected for the special forces due to a past surgery and other life changes in a short period of time, along with being ripped off by a buyer's agent, made him start his own company and vow to do it better. How the real estate industry has changed and evolved and what comes next. If you're looking for an investment buyer's agent service that sources high-quality investment properties across Australia, check out australianpropertyscout.com.au. That's A-U-S-T-R-A-L-I-A-N-P-R-O-P-E-R-T-Y-S-C-O-U-T.com.au, as well as their Scouting Australia podcast. So I'm here with Sam Gordon, the Director of Australian Property Scout. Welcome to the podcast, Sam. Hey, Derek. Thank you, mate. Thanks for having me, man. Good to be here. Yeah, good to have you here. So can you tell us what were you doing before you started Australian Property Scout? What did you study? What were some of your early jobs or types of companies you worked in? <laughs> mate, my, my story is a little bit of a funny one, uh, probably compared potentially to, to a lot of people you have on this. Mate, I wasn't a, a you know, a big, you know, I didn't go to uni. Um, I did, to be honest, man, I didn't even finish school. Um, so I left in very, very early um, year 11. So literally just finished my um, high school certificate in year 10, got into got into um, year 11. And it was it was so hectic in terms of what I was doing school wise. Um Plus, uh, I was I was playing semi pro soccer at the time as well, and, and whatnot too, man. I was it was too much, so I kind of dropped out and started working early at that point. Um, the big thing that kind of made it hectic was I lived um, a couple of hours south of where my actual school was, and I used to commute every day into into Sydney to do it because I went to a sports high um, for soccer. But yeah, man, it was uh, so I pretty much got out of there, and and when I left because it was quite early in the year. My parents were like, well, you either need to get a trade um, or you need to go back to, you know, change schools, go somewhere local instead and and finish um, high school. Um, so it was a funny one where I've kind of left and and they ran a farm at the time. It was it was kind of an old rabbit farm that had turned into a stock feed manufacturing sort of, uh, you know, business um, that my parents had built up from from nothing. And I pretty much just got in there and just laboured um, for that year. Like it was just a labourer in there for a year, but kind of as different people left and I kind of worked my way up. It was only a very small business, but just worked my way up into different things. I ended up just kind of staying there and just making a little bit more each year and, and kind of building up from that side. Um, and yeah, man, I, I ended up never leaving um, until I kind of started this. So it was it was in that in that kind of stock fee, in the manufacturing sort of space, um, pretty much just laboring and working hard. But I guess what was what was different about me kind of when I started out was as I started to earn a bit of an income, I started get, becoming obsessed with, with property. Um, and originally it was cars. Um, and then my, my old boy was a mechanic by trade. He talked me out of the car route and, and talked me into going down the, the property route instead or, or looking at a property instead. And I bought my first property at, at 19. And when I bought that, I just got bitten by the bug. Um, I was sitting in a, you know, I was doing some renovations and I was sitting in a dentist um, waiting room uh, and I picked up one of these magazines and it just had all this stuff in it on property. And I was just, oh man, I just got absolutely obsessed went out, bought all these mags and uh, and then just pretty much, it was almost like a bachelor's of property I, I kind of joke about because I, I just consumed so much content and became so obsessed with it. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that was kind of where the real love affair with property kind of started and where it all really kicked off at a very early age of kind of 19, 20 around that time frame. So, so when you were, say, 12 or 13, was mm. the dream and the goal to be a professional soccer player? Was that sort of what you had in mind? Yeah, it definitely was. It definitely was. Yeah, soccer was the big thing. So, um 
some people may know of it. There's a there's a, a sports high school in Sydney called Westfield Sports. It's kind of considered one of the pretty much the most elite so kind of soccer school. Oh, sorry, sports high school that there is in Australia. Um, very very hard to make it. And and when I was uh, I think it must have been eleven or twelve, what it was, I trialed and and was accepted into this school. Um, and we yeah we lived a couple of hours south and made it in there. So you're literally in this environment, man, where you're like a 12, 13, you know, all the way through as I'm going through um, the years, uh, year old, and I'm buddy training like four or five times a week at school plus for like elite level teams in, in Sydney as well. So it's just, that's all you're living and breathing. So yeah, complete obsession with your soccer and trying to make it at, at that point. So, so was everyone at that school, did they just have a really good sports program and coach or was it like the whole school was geared around sort of athletic achievement? It was a 50-50. So there's, um, it was a, it was a semi, it was, yeah, kind of a 50-50 sports and, and local school. So they still had the kind of the local catchment and we all mingled and, and mixed and it was, you know, in class and everything, it was the same thing. Um, but one of your subjects was sport. So it's like when you, you know, you go all the way through, literally one of your subjects is sport. You have periods where you go and, you know, you have a double period. You go train for two hours. Um, and you, you literally train every day. So it's like, it's a ridiculously good way to get technically, you know, extremely good on that side. But a lot of like, you know, NRL players and, and rugby players and swimmers and everything, you know, netballers and all that sort of stuff um, all come out of that school, for, you know, very high level as well. And what did you learn being surrounded by people that are very ambitious, obviously athletic, driven, you know, sports, hyper competitive, mm. um, very difficult. Um, what did you learn being around those people as, as you were sort of in your formative um, teenage years? I think the competitiveness was a big one. Um, the competitiveness was definitely a big one because you're surrounded by people that just want to, you know, be at the top and we're all, you know, pushing against each other. And it was funny because, like, your mates at school, but then on the weekend you go play against each other for different clubs because you, you're signing and playing against these different these different teams. Um, so it was cool, man. I was hyper competitive on that, on that level. Um, I think with me personally, I've got a very hard work ethic even during that time because – I mean, I used to get up at like 4.30 in the morning to catch a five o'clock train um, to get in on time for our, we, we used to train in the morning to get in for, you know, 7, 7.30 a.m. Um, training sessions in the morning. So um, it kind of bred, you know, the hyper competitiveness on that side, but then like a really good work ethic on the other. Um, and obviously, you know, you're working and you grow, sorry, you're growing up and you're living on a farm with a family that's kind of like that as well. The kind of work ethic side of it really kind of comes into it too, which was, uh, which was cool, man. And, and have you stayed in touch with a bunch of people since then? And say, like, I mean, did some make it to the elite levels? But yeah. obviously, you know, most people are going to go down different pathways. What sort of like you've gone into business and real estate? What what other pathways did you see a lot of these people that were on that sports track, but you know, may or may not have continued it all the way? Mate, it was everywhere. It was absolutely everywhere. Um, I had a lot of a lot of mates that you know went on to play in the World Cup and and make it to the elite level like Socceroos and whatnot as well. A lot of my my footy mates ended up playing in the NRL and whatnot too. So yeah, we had a lot of um a lot of really high achievers from from the athletic you know side of things as well do really really well. Um, Man, I don't really know any of the boys that did too well in terms of from a business perspective. A lot of the guys went off and became, you know, personal trainers and PTs because they were such, you know, athletic dudes and, and as well. Um, a lot went into like police, a couple went into the army and different things like that. So it's kind of, I guess, like spun off into some form of kind of athletic, you know, uh, uh, job descriptions and whatnot as well. But yeah, a few of the boys did really, really well and made it, you know, A-League and above and, and, and Europe as well, playing over there and soccer level and, and whatnot too. So it was, it was cool, man. It was good to see, you know, such a, it was cool to be kind of amongst it in that elite level back then. And um, you mentioned then, you know, you, you've dropped out of school, you've gone to sort of work on the family farm, mm. sort of um, small manufacturing what did your parents think? Were they happy to have you closer to home, family business, working, or did they, again, um, want you to sort of do something else and not necessarily follow in their footsteps? Like some parents want their kids to do what they do. Others say, don't do what we did, do something opposite. What was their take when you were working <laughs> for them for the first time there? Yeah, man, my parents didn't want me to do it. Uh, my brother at that time, I think, was already heading off to uni or about to head to uni or something like that. Um, I think he actually might have started uni that year um, that I was that I'd kind of dropped out and was doing my thing. Um, but man, like school wasn't so much for me. I didn't enjoy studying. Um, when I when I really enjoy something um, academically, like in in that sense, I can really hone in and actually quite enjoy it. Um, so I was I love. Uh, it's funny because I'm 
really good with numbers these days because it's so much a number crunching and whatnot when it comes to property. Um, but at school, I didn't like maths, right? Because it was somewhat beyond, you know, simple sort of calculations and whatnot. Um, but I love my English, man, you know, and, and I love my, my history and stuff like that. And there were subjects I excelled in, but everything else that I didn't enjoy, I, I didn't do all that well in. So I didn't, there was nothing that was like at uni that I really wanted to do. And I'm like, well, there's no point in me really finishing, you know, school if I'm not going to go to uni. Um, and then trade-wise, this was the tricky thing was, was then I, I went out and I was laboring and I was getting paid, you know, twice as much, even though I wasn't getting paid that much, I was getting paid twice as much as my mates that were first and second year apprentices. So I was like, I don't really want to cut my wage and go back into a trade, even though I probably should have. Um, but yeah, I just kind of stayed down that route. But no, my, it was it was funny because my parents, uh, they kind of continually tried to actually push me out and kind of get me away from the business. And looking back, like it probably would have been a better route to either go down, um, you know, potentially go down a, build, a builder's route or something like that, um, or even, you know, different times they try to get me to, you know, look at going and becoming a real estate agent or something like that. But I was building a portfolio. And when you build a portfolio, you really need a good steady income. And I wasn't making big bucks, but I needed that income um, and that consistent income and consistent salary to be able to keep on borrowing. So that was kind of, I think, why I, I stuck it out so long and kind of kept doing it. Um, yeah, man. So there was different things I could have done on that front. But but yeah, mate, I, I was obsessed with the property and it was my my lever to be able to kind of keep going, keep going, keep pushing hard in it. And I mean, were your parents... Um, property investors or involved in property. I mean, apart from the farm and, and the sort of regional property land holdings, um, were they at all in, interested in it? Or again, it was just an organic interest that you picked up yourself. Yeah, it was pretty much just me, man. Like they had the they had the farm, um, and they sold off like the rabbit farm component of it when I was very young, and they just kept the the stock feed manufacturing side. Um, and when they sold off that farm, they went and bought like a, a little beach shack right down the south coast. It's this old little fibro green shack. They're literally it's still green, it's still old, grappy, but it's but it's in a in a beautiful spot. Um, that's literally the extent of of their investing until you know, except for the last couple of years where I've helped them into a couple of deals as well. But no, before that. That made like there's there was nothing like they they gave me the push in the sense of like you should have a look at property instead of buying a car you should buy a house you know something that's actually going to do well for you but that was kind of the extent of it at the time you know we're talking 2008 2009 um, 2010 podcast weren't a big thing these days podcasts are a big thing and like people get a lot of um you know a lot of information out of that out of that in this that form of content these days, right? Like that's a lot of the time where people get their form of content. Back then it was magazines. There was three big magazines at the time. I was subscribed to them all and every month they'd come out and I'd read them front to back. And I just learned so many different strategies, so many different ways of doing things. And, and that's where I came across like, you know, investing because I was on a low income. I came across like investing at a very low level and making money on the way into a deal and then recycling that money, you know, releasing that equity and then being able to go and buy more um, and also positive cash flow. So I kind of started building and formulating my strategy and in a sense, kind of like I said before, I, I joke about it, like kind of like giving myself like a bachelor's in property because it was just, I just consumed so much content for so many years and really formulated a, you know, in my opinion, an advanced strategy on how to succeed with it. And then, um, so you're working, you're investing in property, you're self-educating, learning about property. Did you ever work directly like in a real estate agency, a mortgage brokerage, a conveyances office, or did you go straight into starting Australian Property Scout? Yeah, man. So I... um. I was fortunate enough that I'd done very well with, with investing. Um, and at around, it was around 27, 28, um, man, I, I effectively replaced my income, um, which wasn't a huge amount. Or I, I probably replaced two thirds of it. At the time, I was making about 90 odd grand, 90 something thousand. And I replaced around, it was something in the 60, 65, 66, something like that from memory. Um, and I, I really didn't enjoy what I was doing anymore. So, I kind of went through, there was a difficult year in that final year when I was completing a couple of deals. I actually got burnt by another buyer's agent. And, and that was, I think, one of the big precursors of me getting into this, this gig. But I, I got burnt by a BA. I had a heap of different things kind of happen to me that year. It was just a big trigger for me. And so when I finished those deals, um, and I wrapped up soccer that year and everything as well. So that always like tired me from traveling too much. But I kind of wrapped up all these things, all these different things that kind of happened. And I, I had this big, you know, surplus income that I was having coming in um, every every week, every month sort of thing. And so, man, I, I went on a hiatus and I was just like, you know what, I'm done for a bit. And I, I left work. I left all these different sort of things and, that I was doing. And, um, and man, I just traveled. So I traveled for about a year, like kind of on and off. 
Uh, I'd come back for a month and then I'd go for two and I'd come back for a month and go for two. Um, and yeah, man, and I, I kind of, as I was traveling, it was all these different things going through my head of what I wanted to do. And I kind of kept flirting with the idea of being a real estate agent. And then it kept coming back in my mind what had happened to me when I got burnt by the buyer's agent I used. And man, just because it kind of kept, it kept brewing in my mind and it's just like, like, why am I thinking about going down a real estate agent route where like what I love doing is buying and what I love doing is investing and I'm really good at it. And if there's sharks out there that are doing that shit to other people, like that's not, that's not, you know, that that's, that's a, that's an issue, man. Like people that you think you can trust and you can't, like that was a big issue. So I kind of saw it as like, I was going to go out and do it. And even if I just, you know, again, just do what I was doing before, even a deal, a, you know, a deal a month sort of thing. And I'm just replacing, replacing the income, but I'm doing something I absolutely love. Like that was a dream for me, man. Like it was and there was no great big aspirations or anything. It just kind of like formulated and, and, and bred into it. I, I've never worked for, you know, another estate agency, brokerage, anything like that. I, uh, I gave myself a bachelor's and then just went out and had a crack. <laughs> That's and, and much so it. Can, can you say more about that negative experience? Because often people have different negative experience where they don't know what they don't know. Um, again, were you sort of locked into a deal that you should have been able to get out of, but they didn't let you out of it? Was a property misrepresented? Can you give a bit more context on yeah, what went wrong? Maybe. In my opinion, it's probably almost, oh, I wouldn't say almost worse than that. Like if I bought one of the properties that I was presented, it would have been, it, that would have been worse for me. That would have really crippled me. Um, but what happened was pretty much, um, it was someone that I'd looked up to and, and kind of almost idolized for a long time in terms of their portfolio uh, and what I thought that they had done in property as well. And then I just, I was really, I really idolized these guys. And I didn't look enough into them when I signed on as a client. I mean, I signed on, I paid 9,900 upfront. Um, that should have been my first red flag to pay a full buyer's agency fee upfront. Um, and then like I was told, oh, you know, they'll assess your portfolio and they'll put the right deals into your portfolio, blah, blah, blah. Um, it was a bit of a pressure sell to get into it. I mean, at the time I had like seven or eight properties or whatever it was. And my portfolio was sitting quite good. I was 26 at the time. Um, and my portfolio was sitting quite good. Um, and then, yeah, man, I, I've kind of signed on and he's just called me. And, and I had one deal left in the tank before I capped out a serviceability if I didn't go for like a really strong positive cash flow deal. And I told him that's what I needed. And I pretty well signed on. And they just, I just, as soon as I, I hadn't spoken to him, and as soon as I signed on, um, like I, I spoke to all the affiliates and whatnot, the company, the sales guys. And then, uh, man, he was on the phone to me like that night going, man, I've got the best deal for you. And he just started sending me all these deals. And man, they were like the worst deals I've ever seen. Like it was, I remember there was this one in particular. It was, it was, it was something like 460 grand and it was running at like 10 grand a year negative. Like I needed heavy, heavily positively cash flow deals. And it was like 10 grand a year negative, huge strata and body corporate. But the worst thing was, man, is I went on and had a look. And he sent it to me at like 460. And I literally went on and had a look. And this is a unit. I, I hate units. It was in exactly the same block. I could find things online that were like 20 or 30 grand cheaper than this thing that he'd sent me. And I'm like, man, like I'm, I'm looking at these things online, like that much, that much cheaper. Um, he's like, oh no, there's issues with those ones. This one's the best or something. Like just, a, just like a ridiculous story. I was like, no, nah, I'm going to pass on this one. And it happened about six or seven times, I don't know, maybe 10 times, you know, over like a six month window. And I'm just like, mate, this is in the end. I just called him. I go, man, this is a joke. Like, you, you're literally, you're a fraud, mate. Like, the stuff you're sending me is, is an absolute joke. I said, I want my money back. He goes, mate, I've already done all the work. I'm not giving it back. And I'm like, mate, it's 10 grand. I'm 26. Like, I make 90 grand a year. Like, that's a huge, that's a huge deal to me. You know, 10 grand post-tax money. That's a lot of, that's a lot of money. He goes, mate, like, it is what it is sort of thing. And I followed him up for ages, tried to get it. I could never get it back because it was a $10,000 non-refundable fee. Um and uh, mate, that sat very ill with me for quite a long time. And it was that was kind of one of those things I was talking about. It, it was that twenty six year old year where, like, I, I wrapped up soccer. I kind of quit soccer. Um, I, I just had a bit of enough of it, and I, I gave up soccer. I broke up with like a really long term partner. Um, I actually was trying to transition into the into the army. Um, I wanted to go for um, special forces. If I couldn't make it as a, as a soccer player, I really wanted to be a special forces soldier, right? So I, I went into direct enlistment. Hammered everything in terms of all the, you know, all the physicals, everything that I needed to do, all the aptitude testing, everything. I scored really highly, so it was all good. I had a hip operation when I was 19. I finished all this stuff, and then the, right at the end of it, there, there was that thing. Um, there was the, the the testing in terms of a medical final testing, and they said, oh, first thing they question, the first question they asked me was, have you ever had any surgery? I said, oh yeah, I, I, I've broken a few things. I kind of admitted that, but I just, I said, yeah, I've had hip surgery, and they go, oh. You can't go frontline if you've had hip surgery. Like it's a, it's a, it's a front, it's a, it's a blanket no for frontline. There was just all these different things that kind of like accumulated in that year of being 26. And then, yeah, man, that's when I kind of, I 
when that happened and I got burnt and then I just binned it, I sold one property and then I developed a couple of others. And then that's where it really, you know, I, I look back, mate, and like it is, it's one of the worst things that's ever happened to me. But at the same time, it was probably the best thing that's ever happened to me because if, if that guy had done the right thing by me, I probably would have gone and built my entire portfolio with him. Man, I've got, I got over 40 properties in my portfolio now, right? Um, I probably would have built the entire portfolio with him. And he said he's burnt me. And now I've, I've built this business that I can go and help people and, and do the right thing by them. So it's, um, yeah, man, it's, it's a funny thing how those things can happen. You know, worst thing that can happen is also the best thing that can happen to you. And, and yeah, it's just a great lesson to kind of learn from it. So I know I went a bit long-winded on the explanation, but <laughs> it kind of just paints the picture of, I guess, how it all came about. Yeah, I think, yeah, the, the context is really, really powerful as well. So when, like, you didn't make the special forces on, mm. on a medical, were there alternate pathways in the armed forces or you, or you thought, if I can't be special forces, I want to be at the top and the most elite. If I can't do that, I might as well do something else. Yeah, man, I wasn't interested in anything else at all. So I was just like, I wanted to go, I wanted to go frontline. I wanted to go, like, you couldn't directly enlist in, in what's called the SAS, but you could directly enlist in the commandos, which is essentially, it's, just, it's they're very, very similar. Um in terms of what they do within the army and the training. It was a training I wanted to do, man. It's like an 18 month, literally just training course. They spend $4 million on you and you just train for 18 months straight. And I just wanted to test myself pretty much. Um, it was just that next phase of life. I knew I was, I was a bit done with soccer and I was like, this is it. This is a, I want to go and test myself and see if I can, see if I can do this thing. Um, so that was a kick in the guts to not get through that one. Um, you know, from a, from a medical side of things, not from actually getting stopped with anything else. And so how did you go from there to starting um, Australian Property Scout? Did you say, well, I can do this better. I know more than the people who are already running this. Or again, I don't want to do anyone to do to me what I don't want any other one, clients have these bad experiences. So I want to provide a better experience. And what was the origin of you actually starting the business? And what was it like once you started it? Man, that, that that's kind of it. Like those two points and just like, it was all like, you know, cumulative kind of going through my head. And I was thinking about all these other avenues I could have gone down and nothing really interested me that much. Um, and then I kind of, I got to thinking about being a BA, like a buyer's agent and and exactly that, all those things are going through my head. And I actually remember, cause I was in, I was funnily enough, like on one of these trips I was on, I was over in Japan and I was snowboarding and, and I used to travel by myself. I love traveling by myself. Um, and I was just on this mountain for like two weeks straight and it just, it kept coming into my head and I just kept thinking about it. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I was like, you know what, bugger this, like when I'm done and I'm home, I'm going to get back. I'm going to see what I have to do to, to do it, what licenses I need to get, if there's any courses or anything. Um, and I'm going to do it, man. I'm going to go out and, and I'm going to become a BA and, and give it a run and just see how I go. And once you made that decision, you came back from Japan, what was the first 12 months like, both the good and the bad of that journey? Mate, the first 12 months was very tough. Uh, it, was, it was very hard. Uh, I think at that point in time, I was up to about, 18 properties or something like that within my own portfolio. So I'd done very well, but no one really knew. I didn't, I didn't tell anyone that like most of my friends, they knew I had a couple, but not that many. Um, so I knew how to build a portfolio, but I didn't, I didn't really want to get out there and tell people. I just wanted to help people, you know, but the biggest issue was like, I had a great story, but I was competing against all these other people that had a great name or people thought they had a great name. Um, and I was, you know, my gap was, I wasn't telling anyone about what I'd done. So my first 12 months was really, really hard. Um, yeah, I was just, it's, it's, it's cold calling. It's trying to go meet brokers. It's trying to meet all these different people, but you don't have that name. You don't have that reputation yet. So people are nervous about it. Um, and yeah, man, it was, it was, it was difficult until I just bit the bullet and I got to the, towards the end of the 12 months. I go, and maybe this isn't for me. Like I'm, I've got no traction. Um, I think I was about eight or nine months in and I, I thought, you know what, bugger this. I'm going to go, I'm going to go tell my story. And so I, I, I rang around a couple of the podcasts, sent some emails in and just said, this is, this is my story. This is what I've done. You know, would you, it could, would you mind having me on as a guest? I'd, I'd love to jump on and tell a bit of stuff. Um, and a couple of different, uh, media articles and whatnot as well. And, it kind of all culminated and it kind of hit me in one hit, right? So I won Investor of the Year in 2020 in January. So this is kind of everything kicked off in 2019. That was the that was the the tricky year. And then the back end of it, all these podcasts dropped. And then I won Investor of the Year and then it just it exploded, man, from there. So it just really took off. So before you did that, you would approach someone and say, hey, I can help you buy property. And they would say, well, you've been in business three months. Why would I trust you? You're a young guy, yourself you know, under your own brand, you're not working for a big organization. Is that like the objections and the re the reasons people wouldn't go with you? Yeah, that's kind of the big one, you know. Um, you know, people um 
people people will always weigh you up against who else is in the market. Um, and people also think, oh, I don't need one. I can do it myself. It's it's a massive Australian thought or, or, or um, you know, belief that we can invest ourselves in property, that we know what we're doing. In Australia, it's like 5% of the population use a buyer's agent. And in America, and, and so 95% don't. You look at America, it's literally the flip. Like 95% of people use a buyer's agent and 5% don't. Man, everyone in Australia, they think they know how to buy property, you know, because it's such a great Australian dream. Everyone jumps on realestate.com. They go do this, they go do that. They think they know what they're doing, right? But like the difference between being like an elite level, a professional investor and knowing what you're doing and knowing how to invest, the difference between that and the average Joe out there trying to invest Mate, it's it's massive. Um, it's absolutely massive. So I, I kept running into these stone walls, these people thinking they knew what they were doing, and you see people making mistakes, and it's just you know it's very hard. And I think my big issue as well was really trying to sell to my inner circle, where people thought, "Yeah, oh, if you're going to do it, man, like do it for free. Why am I paying you for this thing?" And so it was it was kind of getting myself out of that comfort zone and and um and going and and trying to access people outside of my circle. And that's when when I did that. That's when it all kind of really took off, and and uh, and, and and yeah, man, really picked up from there. And so you used uh, buyers agents when you were on the way up, sort of building your portfolio. Do you think the fact you had a lot of sports coaches when you were young influenced that? You you had seen the difference, you know, an athlete who might train on their own versus an athlete who trains under a coach. Do you think that man, sort of maybe made agent. a connection? Oh, you I never, never did. Before? Agent. Oh, okay. No. So I was seven properties in when I went and approached these guys. Um, I went and approached these guys and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to have a chat with them. I'm going to get them to assess my portfolio, maybe see what I need next. Because they, they used to offer these, uh, I won't name exactly what it was, but it was kind of like a, a, a strategy session, right? Let's just call it a strategy session. Um, so I bought all my own properties up to this point. I'd had quite a prolific journey, man. I was doing very well. I, I was, you know, six, seven years in or whatever, um, low income earner, but I was up to about one and a half million dollars worth of equity. I was, you know, quite positive cash flow in my portfolio. So I was doing quite well. And it was when I went to them at that point, that they said to me, um, and that was probably my main thinking, man. I was like, you know what? I, I could potentially do this better. Maybe I can take this to a different level. And when I went and sat down with them, man, they just bagged my portfolio. They're like, man, this is shit. Um, these deals are average. We could do heaps better deals for you than this. Um, and kind of like bagged the hell out of it. And that's where like, I never really intended to use them as a buyer's agent. I just wanted them to have a look at my portfolio. If anything, I was actually hoping that they would offer me a job. Like, do you want to come in as like an associate? Well, you know, we'll take you under the wing sort of thing. And instead, they bagged my portfolio out to the extent that I thought, these guys must be doing the best deals ever. Um, so, man, I signed on, I paid the money. And then it was, that's when kind of the, you know, the real, I guess the real truth of it all came out. And I think that's what separates us from a lot of other people, I think. Like having that experience, man, I, even though we've grown a lot and everything, like I, I vet deals as if it's it's still the first deal that I've ever done in the business and it has to be perfect because you get that wrong, especially for like, a, you know, anyone, but especially let's say a young fellow or someone later in life and they're trying, they're on that last little bit of their journey that they need to succeed. You stuff it up, you give someone the wrong property, man, it can be crippling. You do the right thing and, and do the right properties for people, uh, you know, buy the right property, right right location, right price. You get all those three things right. Man, it, it's life-changing. It's life-changing what you can do for people. So, yeah, I think like, again, that negative experience and, and yeah, man, that's why I know I've never, I've never, um, I've never bought through a BA and you know, I can kind of proudly sort of say that the size of the portfolio I've built as well. So it's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, but it's, I look at what I did all the way back then and, and what I, how long it took me to build my portfolio, but how, compared to how quickly like, I'm helping build other people's portfolios now, um, I mean, it's chalk and cheese, like the speed of, of, of how quickly you can build a portfolio when you know what you're doing. Because we're almost like mentors and coaches in that sense as well, taking people to different levels. Like it's things that people don't know about that you can do with property um, in terms of financing. So like I was saying before, refinancing equity and building it like that. Um, yeah, man, it's like game changing. If you if you know what to do and you know the right property to buy, it's absolutely game changing compared to what you could do by yourself. And so you had that first difficult year where no one knew you, no one trusted you, and then you've done some media appearances, you've boosted your profile. Yeah. After that, once people had sort of seen you, what was the next sort of twelve months like? Once you had a bit of a bit more of a reputation. The big one was the investor of the year. So like winning the investor of the year, people could no longer go, well, how do I trust you? Like, who who, who are you sort of thing? And it's just pretty much you, you flick on the article and you go, this is me. <laughs> so it's kind of like, it's, it was that credibility and that verification of people going like, oh shit, okay, like this guy's literally, he knows what he's doing on that sense. So the the battles that I used to have on that end, like the, the verification was there now, you know, and, and, and my story was out there and what, what I'd been able to do for myself. And then it started filtering through what, I, what I'd done for other people as well. 
So I really took off, man. Um, in early that next year, that's when I kind of I'd met my my partner, who's who's now um, in the business with me as well. Um, she was a real estate agent up in up in Brisbane. Um, pretty much met her, you know, we we hit it all off and everything. And then she kind of came into the business with me. She kind of transitioned out of what she was doing and, and came and started working with me. So the second twelve months, um, she kind of came in and was really pretty well on ground zero as we started building it that year. And uh, that year was huge, man. Like, you know, we kind of yeah, we grew. It was exponential growth, you know. The numbers you've seen, you haven't seen year one <laughs> compared to say you've seen year two, which was that year of, of exponential growth, and then you've seen year three and four. But that first year compared to the second year was just was insane how uh, how much it took off. So it was it was cool. <laughs> and you've continued like so that rapid growth, growing three hundred three hundred and seven percent last financial year, um, doing four million in annual revenue, becoming one of the top one hundred fastest growing new businesses in Australia. What was it like managing that growth? There's the pain of not succeeding, but there's the growing pains of onboarding clients, expanding, um, hiring. What was that sort of growth like, both the good and the bad? The client side of things weren't too bad. Um, I think where we have really excelled and, and probably overtaken a huge part of like, you know, that 307% growth, like, you know, 100% of that, maybe 150% of that is new clients. Like the remaining percentage of it is returning clients. And that's what I'm saying. Like when you, when you figure out how to build a portfolio properly, people are continually coming back and they're buying more and they're building bigger and bigger portfolios. So that was a huge amount of the growth. It's actually like that internal growth of existing clients. So that doesn't like eat up too much of your time, you know, and and, and that's pretty sweet because you can have quick calls with them and kind of discuss everything we need to do. And, and then they start to get it. And then once they do it once or twice after that, it's it's a process. They know what's going on. They trust you implicitly. It's like your time involvement on that side, while you always give it to them, it's so much quicker and cleaner. Um, in terms of, I guess, the growth of the team, that's where things kind of changed. So in that in that second year, it was just Morgan, my partner, who's my partner and I. Um, and then in that in that third year, that's when we brought in um, the another buyer's agent, and and we actually brought in an assistant at that point as well. So it's kind of three of us sourcing deals and the assistant. And it was just it was just hand man. We were just we were just working hard, finding great deals. I was doing strategy sessions and 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 all the rest of it, kind of building it. It wasn't until kind of the back end of that year um, where we where we kind of really looked to scale. Um, and we we I was like, all right, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say I'm gonna create this differently. You know, I'm gonna bring in people, I'm gonna train them up, and we're just gonna buy like experts everywhere and kind of create area experts in all these different areas, locations, right? Um, and I think that's where things really changed when I brought these guys in, like kind of almost like an associate agent, right? We bring them in, train them under these guys individually, and then go and set them up in their own areas and give them a bit of time to 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 really dig in and flourish. That's where it really changed and took off because it just gave us access to a lot of property uh, in a lot of these locations that were absolutely firing and having huge growth, buying really, really well. We're, like we're we're pretty well known in the industry for for being like the below market value specialists, like sourcing deals below their intrinsic value, um, and uh, and then obviously the market doing some additional heavy lifting after that. These guys were just growing their portfolio so quickly, like it was a continual rinse and repeat, and, and building it and putting them in different areas. So it kind of just grew and built on itself within that man. So it was. I, I worked very long days and, and hours and whatnot as well. So I, we handled it in terms of like, how do you handle the, the growth outside of things? It was good, but there was there was some roller coaster moments where you're just hanging on, you know, you're just hanging on and just like getting through it. And then you get you get through it. And a lot of business owners that I know you, you ha- would have on this, they I'm sure they would go through the same thing when you go through these big periods of growth. Um, but then it but then it kind of you get over the hump, man, and then you're like, it just it just flows, you know what I mean? Like you hit that that mad equilibrium stage where everything's just running smoothly and, and optimizing. So um yeah, man, there's roller coaster moments and then there's uh there's those nice, beautiful plateau moments where it's just all working, all humming. Yeah, and if we look um zoom out a bit and look at the property investing more generally in Australia. Um, in the time you've been doing it since you were 19, do you think it's become easier? There's more information, like you said, it's easier to, to learn and, and you don't have to um, read magazines and there's a lot more <laughs> sources or has it become harder? You know, the market, there's too much information. Like you said, there's people giving bad information. Overall, do you think it's sort of easier or, or harder for someone maybe getting started now versus when you sort of started? I think it's a mix, man. Um, there's some things that are easier. There's some th- there are some things that are harder. I think the harder thing, finance is a little bit harder to get these days as well. But it always changes. Like when I first started, finance wasn't that easy to get either. It wasn't long after the GFC. Like it, it was quite hard to get funding as well. Funding kind of always moves in ebbs and flows of when it's easy and when it's hard. You know, you look 10 years before when I started, it was ridiculously easy. You just 105% lend everything and they just lend it to you. Everything's positive cash flow. It was easy as man. You know, it's just the matter was just going and finding the right deals. 
But I say it's easy as, but I'm sure there were problems, there was issues and things building it then as well. There's, there, as there always is as it goes along. So, man, I think I feel like it's just one of those things you just you need to ebb and flow. You need to grow with the market. You need to adapt and you learn and you change and you build in the market that you're in. So, I think the biggest difference now compared to what it was probably ten years ago, there are a lot more buyers agents. Um, the difference with that is. There's a lot of average buyers agents. And the issue, the issue with average buyers agents in is they'll get access to stock off market and they'll just pay market value or above market value for that stuff. If they're eating up a lot of stock off market and you're not using someone, um, man, you're going to struggle to get things that are discounted, which is going to allow you to build a portfolio quickly. So it's one of the big things that we run into. And I think that's a big game changer in the market these days is there's so many of those guys out there buying things off market at market value or above that, it, you know, they're really good growth locations. It can be quite hard to actually get access to, to good quality deals and, and getting them at a discount. Um, that's obviously what we are specialists in, but that's probably the really hard thing. If you were out there trying to build it yourself at the moment, um, that's probably the big thing you're really running into, really running into, into an issue with. Um, and it's not impossible, man. It's, it's definitely still possible. It just would take longer, uh, you know, and you'd want to become a real area expert. So you knew you weren't, you weren't buying the wrong property or a dud property. And you mentioned like buyers agents have become a lot more popular and mainstream. Mm. Do you see most of them focusing on owner occupier? Like someone wants to buy and they want help or they haven't bought for a number of years, maybe? Or do you see a lot more of them helping on the investing side where people, you know, they buy their own home, but then if they're investing, they, they want help getting the right sort of investment. And that's more where the buyers agents are focused. Oh, I think it's it's definitely a split. So that the buyers agents I'm obviously talking about are investment. Like we're investment specialists um, currently, so that's what we really focus on. Um, but there is also a huge number of, of owner occupied buyers and buyers agents out there in pretty well all locations. Um, so I think, man, it's like. But I think it's a good thing because like a good buyer's agent, especially from an owner-occupied perspective, if you don't buy very often and you're not all that you know familiar, you might know an area well, but you may not know like what proper market value is. A really good buyer's agent in an area like that could save you a considerable amount of money and get you access to stock that you may not otherwise see. Um, so there's you know there's pros and cons to both sides, but you just want to make sure it's probably someone recommended and that you you know I would still be vetting all deals that come through. That's probably the biggest advice I can give. You know, make sure your buyer's agent has done what you want to do, um, and that they've and that you're vetting everything too, just to make double double sure, you know, double checking on that too. Um, but yeah, man, it's it's probably a very very even split. I think the BA like the buyer's agency space got really built out in owner occupier because um, it was a little bit. It kind of came about, I think, primarily around like very, very busy professionals and people making a lot of money that didn't have enough time up their sleeves to go and find the sort of property that they really wanted. So they kind of were outsourcing it on that side and then they'd go and find it for them and and uh, and go and show them stuff, especially off-market, give them access to things at a time that suits them, all that, all that stuff that really solves a big problem on that space. The investment BA space, I think, has really taken off in the last few years, but the last five years. A lot more options around it, and a lot of people out there really, you know, uh, in this space, kind of trying to dominate as well. So it's, yeah, man, it's one of those things, that, and I think it's only going to become busier and busier in that space. So I think if you're out there trying to do it yourself, it's just going to get harder and harder from that side of things. And what's your process, or what do you look for in the buyers agents who you hire? So you bring mm. them into your business. Obviously, you want the best. You've got your own training and knowledge, but but what I guess background or characteristics and traits you're looking for in the people that you bring into your team for those roles? The big one for us, or the big one for me is, is coachability. Um, I actually don't really like people that already come from from that sort of background, that sort of space, purely because they a lot of the time they can be know-it-alls or they think they know what they're doing. Matt, I do things very, very differently from 99% of buyers, agents and investors out there. So I kind of need someone to come in as an open book and is very coachable from that side. Um, it's funny, like, I don't look for people that would be like, because it's, it's very different from a sales agent because a sales agent, like you need someone that is, is super confident, can sell, um, you know, all, all that sort of thing, comfortable cold calling, so, which is which is all important stuff from a BA side as well. But it's almost like you don't want people that are overconfident. You want people that you know can build really good relationships because a lot of the time the relationship building is is really what will get you the best deals and access to the most stock. So that's kind of like a really key thing that we really look for um, on that front because when, they're, when they've got that, that, that trait and that factor and they're super coachable, I know they can build relationships and I can just mold them into the sort of person, the sort of buyer's agent that I need them to be, to be hyper successful. Um, and we've had really, really good success around that, man. It's, it's worked very, very well. And it'd be hardworking too. That's the other big thing. Hardworking is a big thing. Um, 
It's not a nine to five job. Real estate in general is not a nine to five, Monday to Friday sort of job. If you think that's where it's going to be, you're going to you're going to get you're going to get kicked out pretty quick. <laughs> and how do you screen for sort of coachability? Because I mean, it's a positive trait. So if you ask someone are you coachable, I say yes, very coachable. But but what do you look for, maybe in someone's background, or how do you sort of assess? Are they really going to listen to feedback? Maybe they're blank slate, so they're not from the industry. So you filter out those that have got a lot of preconceived ideas. But how do you um, screen for someone who's coachable, willing to learn, willing to take feedback versus someone who might not be? Man, the, probably one of the biggest things is, is you run them through like a series of questions, uh, which I obviously don't really have in front of me now. I do it every time we go through a hiring process. But I run through a series of questions and, and you know, I sit there, Morgan sits in there with me as well. And we typically have one of our other lead guys sitting there too. And so we just kind of all watch for the reactions and the way that they kind of come back to each question as well. Because you're 100% right. Everyone gets in there and they're, they're going to try and say exactly what you want to hear. But then you smack them around a little bit with like different questions to try and put them off guard or put them on the back foot or try and like spark a response out of things from a, from a negative front. Um, and man, you, you just kind of see how they react to different things as well because it is a game and it is an industry and 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 a, and a skill where people will, especially like say agents, because you're essentially working, you're working with, but you're kind of also working against real estate agents, right? Um, and 50% or 80% of the time, you're going to cop a bit of slack back on the other side of it. So it's kind of like, knowing how to deal with it and can they deal with it and so man I, I go pretty hard in our interviews um really hitting people with hard questions and and i'm quite a blunt person like i'm just a direct person so when you kind of get quite direct with your questions and and kind of keep pressing on that if people like can just can can take it and give you the right feedback sort of thing that's good but if you, that's where you kind of really you can see if they spark because they spark they're not gonna they're not gonna listen to you they're gonna understand you or respect you when you're trying to deliver a point um, because one of the big things is when someone comes in they may not fully understand market value they may be completely convinced that that something is worth what they're saying it is and you're like no it's not if they can't take that advice it's not going to work out if they can't if they can't if they're not coachable around that so that's the biggest thing they need to be coachable around because um, pretty much, man, like, and this is what I was saying earlier, like I still bet every deal that comes through the business, you know, it doesn't matter how many deals we get to or whatever size of business we get to, I still bet every deal that comes through the business because I need to know it's going out with a certain amount in it that's going to make that client win. If that client's not going to win, they're not going to come back. They're not going to be able to keep building a portfolio. So I've got my hand on every single one of them. You can't have someone that like disagrees with you every time you say no. So you, you need them to be coachable and kind of malleable on, on that side as well, if that makes sense. Yeah, so people who can handle pressure but also handle feedback and Definitely. in a difficult environment with multiple stakeholders be able to sort of sit in the middle and, and be calm and not sort of get too stressed out or panicked when different people are saying different things. Yeah, man, that's it. That's pretty good. Um, and, and so um, we've talked about buyers agents in America, a bit of a different yeah. culture. You've seen Australia. Um, you know, I'm sure you watch other real estate sort of businesses in different countries. What do you see sort of, I guess, a lot of the Australian real estate companies like yourself doing really well? And then where do you see interesting trends or insights from other international markets that you might keep an eye on? Man, I'll be, I'll be dead honest with you. I don't really watch too much in terms of other other markets or, or or too much what other people are doing too much. I try and take what I can. When I see people doing something well, I try and have a good look and I'm like, well, what are they doing well? What, what's what's different? Because I know we're we're very good in terms of buying property. Um, we're not always like you know at the well, we in the past we haven't always been on the forefront in terms of like being super tech savvy or anything like that. So we've we've implemented a lot of those different kind of uh, you know uh, things into the business. We brought people in that that are experts in that as well. But um, man, I think that's a big thing is kind of really embracing tech on that side of things as well, and 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 kind of getting in front of the curve on that. Um, but man, to be honest, I I, I just keep in my own lane. I know how to invest. I know how to build portfolios. I know how to build relationships and buy properties really well. In the buyer's agency space, man, it's not rocket science. It's doing the right thing by people. When you do the right thing by people, you succeed. Um. Man, I'm not looking to kind of recreate the wheel or or, or create something crazy. Um, I just keep building on on what we know and what what is really successful on that front. Yeah, and so, so someone's sort of listening to this and they're 18 to 21 years old right mm. now, and again they're thinking, do I study further, like at university or TAFE? Do I get a trade? Do I work? Do I maybe go into the family business? Like you know, they've got all these different interests at that pivotal sort of life moment where they're they're trying to figure out what's next. Maybe they've got some interest in property as well, um, or they're just kind of at a bit of a loss of of what steps to take. What would you sort of tell someone who's at that sort of turning point right now? Man, it's actually a really tricky one. Um, I feel sorry for for I, I was you know even actually I look back at myself and like. 
feel the sorry because you feel, a lot of people are lost. You know, they come out of high school or they or they go to uni and then they finish their degree and they're like, I don't even, I don't even really enjoy that. I don't really want to do it. You know, but they just spent all these years at high school and then they just finish their degree and all the rest of it and then they don't want to do what they just come out to do. Um, man, it's a, it's a funny one on that front. I, I'm a I'm a firm believer. Like, tr- trust your gut in terms of what you feel like you would like to do. Put ego to the side. A lot of people, 18, 21, whatever. Like I know a lot of people that went and did medicine. They came out, they did five-year degree doing medicine, and they hated it. Or they did law, or they did psychology, and all these different things. Put your ego to the side. Like if you've got an actual passion in something, go and chase your passion. Um, it, and it can be anything. Because what, and this is something I've, I've learned from heaps of people that have been extremely successful. I've worked with some very, very high net worth individuals. And I'm like, how are you worth what you are doing that? And they're like, man, I was just, good at it and I, I was passionate about it. I just chased it. And it's just like, I look at the success I've had, man, I love it. You know, I'm passionate about it. I chase it. I don't take, you know, subpar standards or performances. And I think that's what's made us really grow. So, you you know, probably the advice to like an 18, 21 year old, you know, someone trying to think what they really want to do. Don't commit to something. Like I would be someone, I would not commit to something like a five-year degree. If you're not passionate and if you don't think, I love psychology. I love law. You know, I would love to come out the back of it and and really chase that. If you're not feeling it, don't go and do it for an ego thing to have a bachelor's at the end of it because you're going to be five years behind someone that's you know gone out and done a trade or gone out in in the trenches of real estate and being willing to cop a thirty grand a year or forty grand a year you know associate sort of role to try and build themselves up and then they're in sales at twenty one twenty two and all of a sudden by the time they're twenty five they're flying making quarter of a million or half a million dollars a year sort of thing and they love it and I'm not saying that's for everyone that's just an analogy because of what we're what we're talking about an example right but I think I think the big thing there would be like yeah follow your gut man like what what you're really thinking you'd be passionate about or that you'd love to do. Um, Get after it, man. Have a crack at it. If you don't know, just keep 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 working hard. Do something that's working hard. You know, save, put some money away while you're trying to figure out what you want to do until you can go and chase what you really want to do. Because you can make a killing out of anything if you're passionate enough about it and you're willing to to chase it hard enough. Yeah, and you, I think often as well at that age, everyone's trying to give you advice, like you know, parents, <laughs> maybe school teachers, other Definitely. people, and and push people down a pathway they may not even be interested in, and and then they finish it. But then, like I said, then they're half a decade deep in something they might have no real interest or yeah. commitment to. Um, and, and so what about for, for your business? What does the, the medium-term sort of five-year vision look like? You mentioned you focus on buying, you focus on investors. Is it broadening the scope of your services? Is it you know other investment options, um, commercial property? Are there other sort of areas that you're looking to expand or, or a direction to take Australian property scout? Yeah, man. So we're we're bringing commercial arm into the business later this year. Um, so that's actually one of the like the very near term sort of things that, that's coming to fruition. Um, it's actually funny that we have this call this week as a Friday. You know that we're recording this today. I've had the whole we 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 have fresh buyers agents starting this week doing their first week of induction and training this week, uh, which which has been pretty cool. So like they're kind of the final piece in the puzzle, I think, of what I will build out from an investment perspective in terms of residential. Um, and we're kind of optimizing, you know, we're sitting around about 14, 14, 15 staff at the moment from the resi residential investment space. And I feel like that's what we'll stick out and optimize. Um, I said that 12 months ago when we were at 11 as well. So I don't know, but this is this is kind of where, I, where I'm thinking we're at kind of on that side. Um, Man, commercial arms definitely coming into it. Beyond that, I'm I'm not too sure what. Like I I love investments and this is what I know back to front. Um, and I would just love to optimize and continue to become and build on being the best buyers agency in Australia. Um, I firmly believe we're in the top couple, if not the best. Um, we're definitely in the top couple of of BAs in Australia. Um, for investment space. I'd love to diversify into that, become excellent and become, you know, the best in the commercial space as well. Beyond that, like, man, I've got like Australian Property Scout, it's a very, um, I guess, uh, prudent name. And, and and my podcast, we were talking about this offline, like our podcast, Scouting Australia, um, man, it's kind of like it flows in well and it's it's kind of workable in the sense that we could potentially have offices in each state, in each capital city, like Scouting Australia, right? Um, that would be of an owner-occupied sort of domain and dominion as well, which, which could potentially come to fruition. It just kind of really depends uh, – I, and I don't know when that would when that would happen because it is quite a big operation to kind of implement. But I I love investment. That's my first and foremost, you know, really requirement of what I really want to do. I just want to build out, become the best, be noted as the best, and and everyone you know see that so that they're coming to the best to build out their portfolios and not just like the best because of an award or because of this that or whatever. Like 
literally seen as the best because we're retiring people, you know, we're building portfolios that are retiring people, not just some, you know, sticker on the wall or whatever because of actual results, real life results. And that's what I'm passionate about, man. That's, that's, uh, that's really where I see it going. And, and so uh, most of your um, properties you buy currently in New South Wales, like that's your main sort of geographic focus, but like saying in the future it could become Australia wide or you're already sort of buying properties across coast to coast. Yeah, yeah we're Australia wide, man. Like I would actually say like a very small percentage of what we do is in New South Wales. Um, the bulk of it, um, in, in, if we're talking right now in current terms, like we're early 2023, um, the bulk of what we're doing is is Queensland, South Australia and WA um, very with a very, very small percentage in New South Wales. So we're based in New South Wales. I mean, I'm licensed Australia wide. Um, but yeah, man, like we, we, we kind of operate everywhere, wherever the right markets are. Cause this is an investment, right? Like it's cycles and, and, and movements in different areas with different projects coming in different pressures. It's, um, it's not all just like, oh, Sydney, Sydney, Sydney or Melbourne, Melbourne, Melbourne. Let's, it's, it's where the market is primed and right to grow. That's where we want to be going and investing in. Um, so we're very, very much a borderless operation. Uh, we're very much a, a remote business as well. We've got, you know, head offices within Sydney and within Queensland as well. Um, but man, we have boots on the ground everywhere in Australia that we operate in as well. So it's, it's, uh, it's very, I like, I love it from that perspective as well, you know, uh, building relationships in one or two. It's, it's almost unbeatable from that side. And in the commercial space, when you sort of build that out, do you, I mean, is that market more sort of Victoria, New South Wales focused, or do you think it will follow in some ways a residential based on just demographics and price and other factors for your investors? Yeah, it's definitely Australia wide, man. When it comes to investing, it's always Australia wide. Um, it's where the right locations and the right affordability and the right yields really are. Um, that's that's the big thing, especially with commercial. Like you're always following the yield because your price and your value is really determined and and, and linked to that yield. Um, so yeah, man, that's a same, it'll be the same thing. It, and the cool thing is is obviously we've got those teams already in those other states um, so we can quite easily lean on that side of things um, and it'll be the same thing with with the people that we bring in to partner up with to really drive that arm of the business as well same thing closely based and directly based in those areas that we really want to target so we've got those boots on the ground those relationships we can immediately lean upon um, to really i guess you know uh, launch in those in those markets as well and do you see in the future, like at the moment, I imagine it's mainly a sort of fee-for-service model. Do you ever see yourself setting up a fund or a REIT or anything like that where you would have other ways of investment or you prefer sort of more of a fee-for-service type um, buying model? I prefer fee-for-service, man. Um, I tried things like that early on, very early on in the piece. Um I'm not. I'm not that big a fan of it. It's a. It's. There's it's a few too many like moving pieces, and property is very. Um, in my opinion, probably like a bit of a personal sort of thing where people want to be tangible and hands-on and have it themselves. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I'll be going down that avenue. I like what we do. I like the way we do it. And it's also very, yeah, like I said, it's very personal. You can build portfolios out for, for individual people. That's that's what I like to do. Um, I know other people kind of send up syndicates and, and whatnot as well and kind of go down those routes. At this point in time, I never say never, but at this point in time, I like what we do on the way that we operate with it and, and can individually build people's portfolios out from that front. Excellent. And do you have any final thoughts or, or words you'd like to leave the audience with? No, man. Just, uh, you know, if, for people looking to get out there and start businesses, um, you know, if it's something you're super passionate about and you think you've got the, the correct, you know, sort of qualifications and whatnot and you want to get out there and start it, get after it. If you've got a, an industry or a passion and you want to get out and work in it, then go out and have a crack. Um, one of the biggest regrets I had is, is how long I stayed in the in the job that I was because I didn't enjoy it. Um, and I know if I'd gone out and done something else, I probably could have made a lot more money, a lot quicker and been a lot happier. Um, so don't tie yourself into something that you're hating um, on that front. Um, you know, get, get out there and, and get after it and jump over and listen to our potty as well. And <laughs> thank you very much for having me on, mate. It's, it's, it's honestly, man, it's been a pleasure and, and chatting about the journey. And um, yeah, man, it's, it's, uh, it's been fun. Perfect. Thanks so much, Sam. Thanks, Derek. Appreciate it, mate. Thank you for listening to the Future of Australia podcast. If you liked the episode, please subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. To learn more about the Future of Australia project, check out futureofaustralia.com. To reach out to Derek directly, you can email derek at futureofaustralia.com. That's D-E-R-E-K at futureofaustralia.com.